Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I had the most amazing day, and I didn't really do anything profound. One of my friends that I met in Ghana is in L.A., I haven't seen her since January. So she's in my city. She hits me up and was like, what are you doing? Can we do a lunch? Sure. So I go meet her at the Cara Hotel at 11.30. Do you know that we sat at the table and talked from 11.30 until 7.30? An entire workday of conversation. And there was still more to be said. Completely captivating, intriguing conversation. I mean, it was eight hours. We talked about so much. But a few of the common threads were what it's like living as an expat. So she was raised in London and then she moved to Ghana. But she's also lived in three or four other countries, including the U.S. She lived in New York for a while. But we had like this, these just like amazing discussions about like what it means to be, to be a black woman showing up in the world. Really great conversation. Again, we sat there for eight hours. I was like, I have to go. I have to record this podcast. Like I actually have to go home. And I was like, and I don't want to leave because this is fascinating. These are the kinds of conversations that I have like on a regular basis when I'm in Ghana, like things that I think just challenge my thought process, my understanding of the world and how it works. I love shit like that. These are the basics for what it makes for like a 10 day. Cute environment, good conversation, good food, good friends. That's it. I'm very simple. I haven't really done much else this week until today had not left my house since I got back from Ghana. All I've done is like sleep and work. That's it. And and, I'm good with it. And good black news this week. There are congratulations in order. Tika Sumter, she married her long-term boo of five years. Her wedding photos were absolutely gorgeous. She's a gorgeous woman. Congratulations to them. And then Gabby Sidibag, she was on the cover of Brides Magazine. She is not yet a bride. She is engaged. She is planning her wedding. It was a very long feature with many, many pretty pictures. Her in gorgeous gowns and her with her boo. Her fiance talking about their upcoming nuptials and how non-traditional she plans to be. So good for her. I also saw the new covers for Sports Illustrated. There are four of them. Sierra, who looks freaking amazing. Bless yourself. And go to SI.com and look at all the photos of Sierra. There's got to be like 40 photos on the website. I don't know who styled her. I didn't see it listed. They must have listed that though. She is serving, serving. High fashion. She is a mother of three. She looks amazing. Bless yourself and go look at those photos. Kim Kardashian is on one of the covers. Her pictures look really good too. But she's Balenciaga down. She has some pieces from her Skims collection that she's wearing, but she looks really good. I think they photoshopped her ass though. And I mean photoshopped her ass as in to make it more proportional to the rest of her body. I think she's had her ass redone because there was a time when Kim's ass looked like absolutely ridiculous and it was giving um, wisdom tooth or ant. The last few times I've seen her, she looks way more proportional. I thought when I saw the images of her at the Met, it was because of the weight loss that was making her bum look smaller. I think she might have gone and like altered her bum and made it more proportional again. She's also been looking very white lately because Kim went through a phase where like she was clearly like black fishing. She was doing heavy, heavy, heavy tanner. But the last few times, even in Sports Illustrated, 
She's not giving super tan. She's giving white. Is this like how, like with Miley Cyrus, you make yourself adjacent to black culture to get on Justin Timberlake. And then like once you are, you you tire of it and, and decide to embrace your white culture again. That's what it seems like. But that said, her pictures look really good. And I think this is her first Sports Illustrated, which I was like, really? This is Kim's first? I would have just assumed because she's such a, as a brand. She's like a sex symbol. I would have assumed that she had done Sports Illustrated like way long ago. But apparently this is her first. There's also a, a plus-size model. She's an Asian-American. Umi Nu. I think she's also a singer because when I first looked her up, like a video came up. And I was like, oh, she's a singer. And then I was like, no, she's a model. Okay, so she's a singer and a model. She's cute as fuck. And I also have one of the bathing suits that's featured in the issue. It looks really cute on her. It's a Kiva, Kiva J, I think it is. Her bathing suits are really, really cute too. I recognize the brands for a lot of them that, that she wore, like very affordable fashion. Kim and Sierra, not so much. Because Sierra was giving you like a lot of like Tahiri Muggler, was giving you Hervé Leger, some Laquan McDonald, that's more affordable. But Sierra, I know we just talked about Sierra. Looks, looks, you gotta go look at Sierra. And last but certainly not least, May Musk. I recognized her and I was like, where do I know her from? She landed her first CoverGirl campaign when she was 69. But now she is 74 and she is on the cover of Sports Illustrated, looking every bit of 74 and also looking amazing. I'm on the Sports Illustrated site right now. It says uh, the 74-year-old SI swimsuit model embodies the idea that aging shouldn't hold you back from pursuing your dreams. Which I love that. Is there more backstory to Mae Musk? Is she was like, was she like a, a young supermodel? Mae Musk has been a model for like 50 years. Let's go see what Mae Musk looked like when she was young. Mae Musk young. Oh, total hottie. Total bombshell. Good Lord. Yeah, she was gorgeous. She stayed gorgeous. I also got a chance to listen to the new Kendrick Lamar album. He said he's using this album for healing. One man standing on two words. Heal everybody is what he said. So he digs into a lot of... Difficult topics. I would say territory that's not oft explored in hip hop. He talks about sexual abuse. He talks about trans family members. He talks about sex addiction. He goes in. I'm going to talk about a couple things that stand out to me just in early listens for the album. We might have to come back and address some things the more I listen to this album, though. I should also just let you know I'm a huge Kendrick Lamar fan. I mean, huge. When I read that he was in Ghana for his album release, I was so upset. Oh my God, I should have stayed. I knew I should have stayed. I should have stayed in Ghana to go to Kendrick's album release. I have some friends that went and they were like, girl, you ain't missed nothing. They said at the album release party, it was at, um, not rehab. What is that place called? Sandbox. They did the album release at Sandbox Beach Club, which is literally like right on the beach. Like you can hear the ocean while you're at the club. Really dope spot. But my friend went. He was like, not only did they not play the album, he was like, there was no exclusivity to it. Like, it was a free-for-all. Like, everybody was there. He said he stayed for a bit, and he was like, he left around 1, which is Ghana's equivalent of, like, leaving at, like, 11. They party late, late in Accra. But he was like, yeah, and rolled out. So he was like, you didn't miss nothing. But album-wise, like, I, I've done two listens to the album, and two things stand out to me that I want to speak about. One of them is, what's the name of the song? We Cry Together. 
It's Kendrick Lamar and Taylor Page, who I really got to start identifying from like other stuff because the woman is a respected actress. Also think of her as like Jesse Williams' girlfriend, ex-girlfriend. Couldn't remember her name when I was doing the notes for this episode. And I was like, Jesse Williams' girlfriend, what's her name? And then it came up and then stories came up that they broke up. And I was like, wait, what? When did that happen? Apparently it happened like late last year. They've been apart for a minute and she had a whole new man and he got a whole new woman. That's not the point. The point is, is that she and Kendrick Lamar have this song on the album where it's this very, a man and a woman, girlfriend, boyfriend, who are in a very toxic relationship and they're going back and forth with like, fuck you, fuck you, bitch, 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 nigga, nigga, nigga. And so I've been, you know, paying attention to people's responses to the album. And a lot of people get hung up on that one, especially women, because of the vulgarity of the language. And they were like, I'm sure there's a point to it. This is not what I come to a Kendrick Lamar album for. It was very jarring. I had to like skip it. And I was like, it is a lot. Death blow insults, each one trying to say the most destructive thing possible to hurt the other person. And I was like, oh, this sounds like the discourse that happens between black men and black women about relationships every day on social media. The night Kevin Samuels died and, and like the two days afterward, that weekend, like that's what the discourse sounded like. Just men and women cursing at each other, calling each other the most vile names they could think of, both quote and unquote speaking, exchanging and communication, but neither one actually hearing the other. It's just all about like, how can I, how can I hurt you the way you hurt me? That's what the song sounds like. And that's what the discourse to me sounds like when I'm scrolling on social media. And I'm just like, Jesus, like I'm so used to seeing it. In context, I mean, again, like after Kevin Samuels passed away, it got really, really bad where I was like watching men call women like beasts. There's another like popular male figure and his, and his name just popped in my head. He's another cult leader, but he likes to call black women that he disagrees with bedwinches. But I'm so used to seeing it in that context that it's almost like that's just what Twitter is or that's just what Instagram is sometimes. But just like the the day-to-day interactions where people are just, you know, straight fucking evil to one another. It doesn't even really stand out to me anymore because it's just so common. Um, Literally, it's a daily occurrence. But then hearing it on the album, when I heard like the fuck you, fuck you, bitch this, bitch that, nigga this, nigga that. And I was like, oh, Jesus. I was like, why would Kendrick do a song like this? This isn't his usual fare. And then I went back and listened to it. And I was like, oh, shit, like this is... This is what social media sounds like. This is also what we sound like to outside people looking in. And I don't necessarily really care what people who are not black think about what black people do. But I do think about people who are not black American think, especially when I'm like, again, we just had the conversation about like how you how you go different places and how you show up in the world and how people perceive you. Like we talked about what you look like physically, but also how you sound and where you're from comes with its own list of stereotypes for lack of a better word but the image of black people worldwide is trash trash i think like you look at our discourse you look at our music you look at our exchanges that other people might not be engaging in but they are watching and again i mean like black people who are non-us black people so still black just not us black you go off into the world and you engage with folks and like they think like you're like the fucking worst it's really fucked up the other thing i think we give people a lot of passes because like we like their music or their conscious 
or because they're extremely talented. And I don't know if I'm fully ready to throw Kendrick Lamar in that box. And I recognize that in saying I'm not fully ready is because I'm giving him more grace than he probably deserves from me because I like his music. And so this is my issue. Kodak Black is on Kendrick Lamar's album. He has pled guilty to sexual assault. And he's also made like horrible, horrible colorist comments. And so I'm disappointed that Kendrick Lamar would include him on his album, essentially giving him a larger platform. One of the standout songs on the album is called Sober. My friend, the same guy who hit me up and was like, you got to like watch Rothaniel. He hit me up and was like, have you listened to Sober yet? And I was like, I'm listening to the album right now. I got two songs to go before I get to Sober. And he was like, all right, listen to it and call me back. So I get to Sober and I get through the first verse and I was like, wait, what? Stop. Rewind. And I was like, is Kendrick saying he was sexually abused? Oh, no, no, no. He's saying he was not sexually abused. But when his mom asked him and he said no, his mom didn't believe him. And then he goes on to talk about the trauma of not being believed about being sexually abused. I had to go look up the lyrics on that one. And I was like, wait, what is he saying? So I was like, wait, so the trauma is in not being believed. Okay. And then he goes on in the song and he says that his mother had been sexually abused when she was younger. So because his mother was a survivor of sexual abuse, she's projecting sexual abuse onto him. You make this song where you talk about your trauma around sexual abuse and you point out the direct ways in which your mother was traumatized and how that trauma gets passed down onto you because your mother, your own mother, is so undone by this sexual abuse. You acknowledge this in a whole song dedicated to sexual abuse. And then you put a rapist on your album. Not even like an accused rapist. He pled guilty. Let me read it to you from Complex. This is, this is 2021. This says on April 28th, four months after being granted commutation by former President Donald Trump, Kodak Black appeared in court to face charges of rape and sexual assault stemming from a 2016 incident in South Carolina. He entered a plea deal, pleading guilty to a lesser charge of first-degree assault and battery in a sexual assault case involving a young woman in a hotel room. And here are some details of the case. This is also listed on Complex. It says in February 2016, following a performance at Treasure City Club in South Carolina, the victim said she attended the concert and she met Kodak Black. She later went back to his hotel room She told police that he began to tear her clothes off and said he, quote, couldn't help himself as she screamed and tried to push him off her. According to police reports, she said he bit her repeatedly and raped her as she screamed for help. The victim, who was a high school student at the time, told her school nurse who alerted the Florence County Sheriff's Office. This is who Kendrick Lamar just put on his album. I don't know what to do with that. That bothers me. If I divest from every black man who co-signs by association or with their silence, a black man who has harmed black women, I don't really know that there's a black man left, including some family members. You know, they may not have done it, but are they cool with people who have? Uh Uh-huh. Who's left? 
Am I kicking nearly all the black men I know out of my life? Am I going to stop watching all TV that involves black men, listening to all music that involves black men? Because that's kind of where we are. Part of the, the long ass conversation that we had at lunch today was about black men not showing up for black women. And some do. Let me not, let me not paint a brush that says all. Oh, there's absolutely black men that show up for black women um, and speak up for black women. Absolutely. But there are so many who are just like, you know, that's, that's not my thing. That's, that's him over there. And I'm not trying to get in that man's business. You know, your silence condones this shit. Let's move on. The honeypot. I was late to finding out about the honeypot. And if you're not familiar, it's a black owned vaginal wellness brand. And the appeal of the brand was that it's all natural. Sometime during COVID, the founder of the honeypot, Beatrice Dixon, She's the co-founder and CEO of The Honey Pot. Yes, still. She was featured in a Target commercial that talked about The Honey Pot. The brand story is Beatrice had suffered from BV for many, many months, and she didn't know how to cure it. And she said her ancestors came to her in a dream with a solution. And she mixed that all together, and that is the founding of The Honey Pot. So in this commercial for Target... She talks about being a black woman who is a business owner and the importance of the success of her business to make it easier for the black women coming after her. And she says something like she wants to inspire black women in business and she wants to open doors for the next generation of black women, black women and girls who want to be business owners. Sounds great to me. No problem. White folks, some white folks saw that commercial and were pissed. And they were like, this is racist. Why does she have to make it about race? Why is it only targeting black women? What about me? White people have an absolute meltdown if they are not centered in every scenario. So there was a huge backlash from white folks about her product. They were leaving really terrible reviews for her product. It seemed like her brand was about to tank. Black women get wind of what's going on with these terrible reviews. And so black women rush to Target and they buy out all the honeypot. I saw the commercial, thought nothing of it. I read about the backlash and then black women supporting. And I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. I've never tried honeypot before, but you know, it's a black owned product. I was like, let me go get some wipes or some wash or something to support this black woman's product because she's being unfairly targeted just because she's a black woman who has a forest bias business. And as such, as a black woman, I need to go support. I go to my local Target. I was staying in the suburbs with my parents at the time. You know, my parents live in an all black suburb. One, no more honeypot. The black women had beat me there. I went to another Target. All the honeypot was gone. All they had left was pads. I used the pad in over 20 years. So I was like, well, you know, when something else comes out, then I'll get it. Never got around to getting it. Um, I don't use any sort of like feminine wash. I just use like the same soap I use everywhere else. Like it, that's what I use. I don't have anything special for my lady. And I was like, am I doing bad by my lady? Like she, she doesn't give me any problems. Like all is well. I very rarely have cramps with my cycle. The, my flow seems fine. There's no irritation. I check her out every once in a while. Like everything's looking good and she smells nice. Him says she tastes nice and she's self-cleaning like everybody else is. You know, I feel like everything's going well with her and it's not broke. So I don't need to fix it. I'm just going to leave her be. But I also like was reading this, this backlash to the honeypot over the weekend. And I was like, am I like the only person not using some like special feminine wash doing something special for my lady? I didn't know. It felt like it. So here's the problem with the honeypot. Indeed, it is a problem. 
perceived or actual. They are in the middle of a PR crisis. I'm not sure which one happened first. Over the weekend, I saw the Shade Room had posted, reposted a TikTok video where a woman was comparing the original version of a feminine wash by the honeypot and and the new version. She was posting the um, ingredients and she noted that there were several new ingredients and that also the packaging had changed, whereas a previous version had said the packaging was certified organic. This new packaging didn't say that. So it's like, well, what exactly am I using? What is this new product? I don't understand. It used to be all natural. It's no longer listed as all natural. The idea was that they've used black women essentially to build their brand. And now they've gone and sold out. Some people took that quite literally. Some people took that figuratively. There was a rumor that the, that the owner of the company, again, a black woman, had sold it to white folks. Which white folks? Nobody knew, but sold it to white folks. Just for clarity, she, she has not. The company said that multiple times on various platforms. And yet the rumor that the company had sold has pers- had persisted. But they sold out. They created this great product for black women. And now they pulled an okie doke. And it was especially harmful because black women said that, that the reason they were attracted to these products is because they had so many issues with their reproductive health, cramping during their periods, heavy flows, fibroids. And they said that using these all natural organic products were giving them better cycles and better health. And so now you've gone and changed this product that was benefiting black women and you've added this extra shit to it that is no longer beneficial to me and is actually harmful to me. This, and this product, again, goes to a very intimate part of my body and you've changed it and not told me. So there was an idea of betrayal. Fair-ish. Well, I'm looking at this TikTok video, which again has gone viral over the weekend. It was 10,000 comments. I mean, literally saying, fuck you to the owner. I mean, people were very outraged. People were very upset. I screenshotted some of it because I was like, yo, this is very, very personal. Quote, my heart is disturbed. She said, I supported this product because it was a black owned business. I knew something was off because my pads weren't the same. The last time I used the foam, it made me itch. I hyped Honeypot and made my family purchase them because it was black and female owned. I'm ready for menopause over it. Somebody else said, I'm so disappointed. Another woman says, what did your ancestors tell you? Because that's why I bought it. We can't have anything. Several people, when this bottle runs out, I'm not getting any more. I'm throwing out my products. Somebody else says, wait, wait, wait. What about the ancestors? You made that entire story up. I believe that. That hurts. Another woman, this is why black people don't own anything. We'll have a great idea. And then as soon as we make a few funky dollars, we're ready to sell it. Now they're going to take this product, add some trash to it, and grab the audience of the clear people. Now women coochie will be on fire with all this bullshit. I'm so disappointed and pissed off. So again, this story started going viral over the weekend. I think the TikTok went viral and then the Shade Room picked up on it because it's gone viral. That's usually how stuff ends up on the Shade Room. I went back to the Honey Pot page. There's literally, what's today's date? 
I'm recording this at like 1.30 in the morning on the 17th. Monday is the 16th. The weekend is the 14th, 15th. That's when The Shade Room picks the story up and it gets 10,000 comments and everyone's talking about it. There's a post on May 9th on the Honeypot Co. Instagram page where the owner says the product is back. She's speaking about the wash and she says, we did some surveys. We talked to people about what they wanted from our, our product and we made changes to the product based on that. I don't know who they surveyed. I don't know who they talked to. I would gather that either that's bullshit or they got some really fucked up feedback that does not represent their audience who collectively the audience is pissed. It's a whole PR nightmare. But the owner does say specifically, we added some new ingredients and she says it's still the same beloved product. She said it's now hyperallergenic. She says it's pH balanced. We added some preservatives so it has a longer shelf life. So your product will will be healthy and good for as long as you have it. I don't know if folks didn't see that. I don't know if this video came out before the TikTok video. I can't find the original TikTok video to see what date it was posted. But I'm going to guess like May 9th versus like May 14th. It, her video probably more than likely came out first. And still, still, I think it's important to note that even if it did come out first, it didn't make the impact on the audience. It didn't address the audience or the changes in the way that the audience needed to be told, addressed, reassured, any of those things. Because again, the video exists and people are still pissed. There was a way that people liked their product. They clearly had a very emotional connection with this product both because I think it was made by a black woman and because it was natural and because, you know, once you start talking about the ancestors came to me in a dream, and this is literally what was listed on the back of the bottle. Like my ancestors came to me and gave me this recipe that cured my issues. And now I'm sharing this recipe from the ancestors with other black women to address their issues. And it might've been bullshit all along, but it worked until they changed it. And now people are like, nah, this shit don't work no more. Or I'm not willing to try it because what I liked about the product was that it was black owned, which it still is, even though there's a rumor that it's not, but it's black owned, that it's all natural, that it's organic and that it's healthy for me. And when you start adding in shit that ends with OL, which, you know, indicates like alcohol, you start talking about preservatives and you start having a list of shit that people don't understand. People understood purified water. People don't understand these these new multisyllabic ingredients that they don't know what the fuck that is. The brand identity was natural, organic, ancestral. The woman asked, the woman that I read her, her quote, people are upset and they're like, did the ancestors tell you to put preservatives in the shit? It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. And to make it, I think, probably worse is that this story persists all through the weekend. So people have all day Saturday, all day Sunday, a bunch of downtime. The brand says next to nothing. So earlier today, while I was sitting at this eight-hour lunch, the owner uploaded a video on Instagram. It looks like she's sitting maybe in her office. It's not particularly well lit. It's not particularly sharp. I only critique this because I'm observing the video. Her hair is brushed back. It doesn't look like she bothered to do her hair. She didn't put on any makeup or anything. She's in jeans and a hoodie. And again, she's an entrepreneur. She can wear whatever she wants. Her business runs not based on her outfit. And I'm only critiquing this only because of people's response to the video. People are like, she looks like she doesn't give a fuck. 
a wide swath of your consumer is pissed about you changing the ingredients. And when you come to address this issue, you show up like you don't care. That was the perception. So she released this video and she explains what's going on. The first video, the one that I referenced from May 9th, where she's talking about the changes to the product. People complained about that when they said it looks like she's reading from a teleprompter. White people are forcing her to do this. She must have sold the company. So in this video, she comes like she starts off and she says, I am the CEO, chief innovation officer and founder. And she wants to make very clear. And she lists these three things in the caption of the video. She says, one, we have not sold. She says, two, the wash formulation has evolved for good reason. And she says, we have and always will serve humans with vaginas best. Full stop. The humans with vaginas thing piss people off. She's using inclusive language. She's not saying women. Women were offended by not being called women. There's also the appearance stuff that I just listed. And then also, like, she, she gives, like, this opening statement. And she doesn't seem very confident or sure of herself, which I get under the circumstances. Like, her brand has taken a beating, a really bad beating over the weekend. So she makes this opening statement and then she says, I'm going to read from this prepared statement that I've made. And she pulls out like several 8.5 by 11 sheets of paper and starts reading from them. And people were like, who wrote this? This doesn't seem genuine. Can't even address her audience transparently. Like it's just compounded The truth of the matter is there's nothing she could do right now to make this situation right other than come out and say, I'm changing it back. And even in this video, she acknowledges we didn't handle the rollout the best way. The changes to the product, like we should have been, we should have communicated that better. Takes responsibility. But the rest of the video, and it's 15 minutes, she talks about the changes that she's made to the product and why they were necessary, the preservatives again. It's a longer version of the video that she posted on May 9th, but people are just so pissed right now at the way that they feel like they've been okey-doked, essentially. Um, I don't know what else she could do right now other than change the product back. I think, and not even I think, I've, I've been reading other takes on this from people who run beauty businesses in some capacity, and they were pointing out that There's a huge difference between I'm making this shit in my house or some small factory and I'm making this limited amount of bottles versus I'm scaling it for shelves at Target. She likely had to change manufacturers. She likely had to meet different guidelines to be in Target because she's not just making this out of her house or at a small factory where she has more control. They're making mass quantities of this product and it sits longer. Like it's, it's imperative that there are preservatives um, so that it lasts, if nothing else. It doesn't go bad in a short period of time. Like the preservatives almost have to be in there. For her to do what she's doing at the scale that she wants to do, as it's been explained to me, and this is by one of my friends who works in a beauty business, and she was like, don't tie my name up in this shit because I'm not trying to sound like I'm, I'm a hater on her product or, or like I know intimately her product and can speak on it with authority. What I'm speaking to is what she explained to me is the most likely scenario is that because of the way the product is now being manufactured, the way that the product is now being shipped, the way the product is now being held in warehouses, it has to have preservatives to increase the shelf life of it. 
And that's why a lot of this stuff likely had to be added. Nobody goes and changes like a winning formula that everybody loves and that no one's complaining about unless they absolutely have to. There are business reasons that it must be done in order to continue the business or scale the business. And she said that's probably where she is. In her mind, she's doing what's right for the business. Again, this comes back to, you know, people had a very emotional and personal relationship with this business because of, one, the backstory about the ancestors. Also, when she was a black girl in crisis, because of the backlash due to the Target commercial, black women showed up and rescued her business. And they feel like you owed us something for like when you were in crisis, like we threw on our capes and we came to do our superhero work. We came to do our magic work for another black woman who was in need. And now we don't feel like you were honest with us about your business. And then also you'd created something for me based on this, this ancestral connection. You know, black people, especially in America, we're always trying to like connect to an ancestor, an earth, a country, um, a culture, because we feel unrooted here for very valid reasons. You've also created this thing as a black woman that specifically addresses the needs of black women. And it was done well. And now you've taken it from me. And like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? And also there's a long history of black people building successful businesses that appeal to black people and then selling them for goo gobs of money. And the business is never the same. It also didn't help that she did a magazine interview in 2020. And she was like, oh, no, like I I totally plan to sell this business. I actually feel bad for her. And I'm acknowledging that the rollout wasn't the best. I'm acknowledging that all of the complaints that people have about the way it was rolled out, the lack of response over the weekend. But just as, you know, someone who's worked at businesses who've been in the middle of a PR crisis, you may see the business as she's been in Target commercials. She makes millions of dollars. Um, She must have a, a PR department. She must have people she can call and pay and handle this. You'd be surprised at the lack of infrastructure that a lot of even successful businesses, businesses that, that make a lot of money, you'd be like wildly surprised at the lack of, of infrastructure there. And part of it's even because you don't necessarily feel like you need a PR person unless you're currently in the middle of a promotion. You don't need a crisis manager unless you're in the middle of a crisis. It seems like an unnecessary expense until some shit hits you and then you're scrambling like, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? My understanding of Honeypot is the last time that they had a big PR problem was on the heels of a Target commercial in which, again, we just talked about is like white people started coming for her company and black women showed up in droves to protect her. Other than that, she's had no big PR problem. That same audience who had rode for her and support her turned on her quite quickly and quite viciously. If you get a chance, go read the comments on the Shade Room or go read the comments on the Honey Pot. I'm shocked they didn't turn the comments off. I would have. You ain't going to sit on my page and tell me I ain't shit all day. You can go on your page and say whatever you want. You're not going to come to me and tell me all day I ain't shit. I ain't listening to that. I've tried open dialogue and all that other shit before. Uh Uh-uh. No, you're not. My mental health is more important than your freedom of speech. But people are like blatantly saying to her, like, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck your company. You know, these are just people talking online. They're angry. But just as a business owner, it feels very personal just because of all you've invested in it. So I believe like this, this, uh, this video that she uploaded today, 
there cannot be a PR person in play. There can't. No, no decent PR person would have let her upload that video. It, it looked like she didn't take it, the issue, seriously enough to put on her professional face and come and address her audience and say, like, and that's part of my respectability politics flaring. I'm very, very clear on that. She probably had a meltdown the whole goddamn weekend. And then from the previous video, people told her, it sounds like you're reading from a teleprompter and you're terrible at it. And so this time she was like, okay, we're not going to go the teleprompter route. She's clearly not a, um, some people are good on video. Some people are not good on video, but specifically practice and, and, and get trained, like literally take lessons on how to present as a, as a CEO, as a professional, as a businesswoman, because they want to be the face of, of their business. They want to present in that way. She's not that person. She strikes me as a business person who just wants to do the business, who wants to be in the background, who doesn't want to be like the forward-facing face of the company. Show up when you can for commercials, which, you know, somebody's written a script for you and you can do a million takes of it and you've got professional makeup and hair and lighting and cameras and producers and all of that stuff. But her video today struck me as a woman who's doing the best that she can, who, who fucked up royally. And didn't mean to. Nobody sets out to intentionally like sink their business. If she knew that people were going to react to the changes to ingredients in the way that they have, she wouldn't have done it. Nobody wants this kind of PR crisis. So I have empathy for um, for Beatrice Dixon. I hope she can. I hope she can pull it together. I don't know if it's possible for her to make an announcement that she's you know scrapping these new changes and she's going back to the old way of doing things. Uh, I think that would probably tank her business. I think she probably had very good reasons for changing it, especially when no one, the consumer, wasn't complaining about it. I'm going to guess that this is like a manufacturing issue, a scaling issue. And she did what she thought she was best. And it's turned out not to be. We have two more issues that I want to discuss, but this episode is a little long. I want to talk about Candace Owens and Patrice Cullors from Black Lives Matter. Can we get this in real quick? Candace Owens popped up at Patrice Cullors house and Patrice Cullors did a video in which she was crying with no tears about how Candace Owens was a threat to her safety. She came to her house. She's like, my child is here. My family is here. I need to be safe. This is not okay. She made it sound like Candace Owens was the big bad wolf. And because we don't in general like Candace Owens, she's a nuisance. She's a black Republican. She'll just say anything for white folks' validation. And so people assume the worst about Candace Owens. And, and in my head, when I read this story, I pictured something like this incident that happened here in California. There was a black woman running for district attorney and Black Lives Matter was trying to have a sit down with her because they didn't like the way that she was handling the police and she was avoiding them. So Black Lives Matter folks showed up at her house in her neighborhood and were protesting in the street outside her home at the crack of dawn. At the time of year it was and the time of day it was, it still would have been dark when they were outside making all that noise. Two or three of the protesters decided to come from the street or the sidewalk, which is public property. They came up on her porch and were ringing the doorbell and knocking on the door, trying to have a conversation with her. The black woman, the DA, is married to a black man. 
She's a black woman of a certain age. Her husband is an old black man. Sir came to the door and outside with his gun in hand, ready to pop off. Folks are protesting outside his house, which is one thing. Again, when you're on the street and the sidewalk. Another thing, when you come up on folks' porch and start ringing the doorbell and banging on the door. So he met them outside with the gun. There was video of him standing out there with the gun. It became a whole hullabaloo. Nobody got shot. Nobody got injured. But at the time, I was like, look, I want folks to go and, and, and protest for my black rights. I want folks to make sure that I, as a black person, am getting the best treatment possible, getting fair and equal treatment. And if you got to do extreme shit, whether it's to another black woman or not, so be it. But rolling up on somebody's house, that's likely to get you shot. If they were in another state, especially somewhere in the South, Florida, Texas, one of them stand your ground, they would have rolled up on them people's house. The husband would have came to the door shooting and asking questions later. And you wouldn't have nothing to say because now your ass is dead. I thought Candace Owens was on some shit like that. The way Patrice carried on in that video, I was like, oh, Candace is the worst. She's absolutely awful. Candace must have rolled up on this woman's house and was banging on the door. And like I said, like doing some shit like this L.A. incident. Candace Owens had rolled up on the woman's house. She never got further than the gate. There was a guard at the gate. Candace Owens rolled up on the woman's house. She had her camera crew with her. Candace Owens is also visibly pregnant. She rolled up on Patrice's house in like what looked like a maternity dress. I say quote unquote properly dressed pregnant woman. Only because people have made a really big deal about how pregnant women dress because of Rihanna. Showing her bump like every time she leaves the house. Like she's like I'm not covering shit up. I'm wearing my bump out. Do you? But she rolled up on the house or whatever. She was so respectful and so polite. Excuse me. Is, is there someone who could speak to us? Oh, no one's here to speak to us. Okay, well, if you're not going to, if no one's going to come outside, then we're just going to go. Okay, thank you. And got back in the car and talked to her camera crew. She's sitting in her car watching Patrice go live and, and crying with no tears on Facebook Live, on Facebook Live about Candace coming to her house and the threat to her family and I have a child here and and this is not okay and blah, blah, blah. Candace went up there with like, she was more polite than a Jehovah's Witness. And again, didn't get to the door, didn't cross any kind of property threshold, was on the other side of a gate and a tall fence. She's a threat. I mean, she's annoying as fuck. She's annoying as fuck. But a threat, hardly. I'm pissed at the Black Lives Matter women for making Black Lives Matter look like a goddamn sham. Then Patrice saying one thing and coming back and saying another thing, i.e. she lied. Like, I'm pissed at them for making a mockery of Black Lives Matter because it's a very serious situation. This shooting in Buffalo over the weekend, it's a very serious situation. Black Lives Matter is not something to be trifled with. It's not a money scheme. And a business in the sense that you do need to be financed in, in order to do social justice work. It is work. It is labor. And people who do it should not be destitute. They should be paid for. But the idea that you're like buying $6 million mansions to throw like your kid's birthday party party or to do kiki brunches or, or celebrations for candidates, like, come on, come on. You got to do better than that. And Patrice no longer works with Black Lives Matter. She stepped down, I think, sometime last year. But she's still known as the founder of it. And I'm like, now you're on Instagram live lying further. You're killing your personal credibility. And you're also fucking with the credibility of Black Lives Matter. And, and you also got me out here agreeing with Candace fucking Owens. You making me actually having to agree with Candace Owens. Ugh. 
I have to acknowledge the correctness of Candace Owens. Candace fucking Owens? You made Candace Owens look good. You gave credibility to Candace fucking Owens. She's a fucking terrorist. She is a domestic terrorist. And now you got me siding with her? Oh, unforgivable. Speaking of Black Lives Matter, last but not least, I'm not going to save this, I guess. The shooting in Buffalo over the weekend, 10 black people dead, I think is what I read. I'm largely desensitized when it comes to stuff like this. And by desensitized, I mean as a coping mechanism, I have learned to emotionally divest from these kind of stories and incidents because if I let it impact me, I feel like I'll start crying and never stop. I feel like I'll go crazy because these incidents with these these young white boys in their teens and early 20s writing these manifestos and getting assault weapons and going to like shoot up black shit. It's happened like over and over and over. I'm thinking of um, Dylan Roof who went and shot up that church, Mother Emanuel. I'm thinking of... His mother drove him across state lines with an assault rifle. And then he went out and just like started like picking off people like it was a video game. I'm thinking about the guy in Charlottesville. This wasn't a a gun, but he got in his car and just drove it into a crowd of protesters. Incidents like this keep happening. They keep happening. And like this one happened over the weekend. Actually, two of them happened over the weekend. There was an incident in Buffalo and there was another incident out here in California where somebody walked into a church and and shot up congregants of the church. I believe they were Taiwanese is what I read. But like these incidents keep happening and nothing's ever done. With these, these shootings, it's like it happens and then there's this outrage and then you want to talk about mental health. We're going to have these conversations about gun control. In black circles, we're going to have the conversation about racism. White people are going to nod today and then they're going to tune that shit out next week. And then a year from now or less, it's going to be another white boy between the ages of 18 and 25 with some big ass gun. And he goes and sprays up some brown people, some black people, some Asian people. And we just going to have the same exact conversation again. We treat every time something like this happens like it's a one off event. Like, oh, my God, this is so crazy. I can't believe this happened. Can you not? Because it happened last year, and it happened the year before that, and it happened the year before that. And quite honestly, it happens a few times a week. We don't even hear about every incident. We just hear about the really big ones. I was reading something the other day. Did I screenshot it? This is like the 190th mass shooting in America this year. Like the 190th mass shooting this year. It's just what we do. We like to pretend it's a one-off incident. This shit is part of the culture at this point. This is a stat per the Gun Violence Archive. It says America ended 2021 with 693 mass shootings. It also points out the Buffalo, New York shooting is the 198th mass shooting in 2022. With just over 19 weeks into the year, this averages out to about 10 such attacks a week. Also, remember the statistic um, during the height of COVID, somebody had pointed out that it was like the first week where there hadn't been a school shooting in America 
in like a few years. And the only reason that there was no school shooting is because the schools were closed. Those aren't one-offs. That's culture. So this Buffalo shooting, it really hit me. Just as a black person, knowing what we, you know, deal with, the bullshit that we deal with day to day, just to get through life, you make it to old age. And there's so many people that don't. Kevin Samuels, hugely popular, died at 57, allegedly of a heart attack. So many people don't make it to like, quote unquote, old age, which is a privilege. But so many people don't make it. Your black ass, literally, your black ass endured. You dealt with whatever you did and you endured. And now you just in the grocery store just trying to get some goddamn groceries on a Saturday. And some evil ass white boy, white man, comes into the goddamn grocery store and shoots that shit up like it's a goddamn video game. Then his heavily armed ass is arrested. Seen black people with no weapons killed for less. There's a whole long list of them. I'm like, I just, I do not. Actually, I do understand. It's just racism. Not that I think the world's a fair place. Like my parents told me like early, early on, like life is not fair. But just the vast unfairness, the vast unjustness. You really just don't give a fuck about like my black ass life. And as a black person, you're not safe anywhere. You can't even sit safely in your goddamn house as a black person. Can't go to the grocery store. Can't go to church and be safe. You can literally just be minding your own black business, like walking home from the corner store, Trayvon. And this right here is why I don't think about this shit, because I feel like, what can be done? Where am I safe? In America? I don't know that there is a place. So, that's the episode for today. We'll talk again on Friday. If you've not picked up your merch for Ratchet and Respectable, please do. You can pick it up on DemetriaLLucas.com. We've got all the teas for Ratchet and Respectable and Interested Men Act Interested and Cut the Check. We'll talk again next week, y'all. Okay, bye.